That was awesome. Just wave to me and smile. Say wow. Say backwards. Say wow backwards. Say it upside down. You're doing very, very well. We did have a lot of fun with the both painting yesterday and axe throwing and one of the things we love with uh, Aaron and Nicole I, I don't know if anyone is more creative in giving gifts than them I mean over the years I have some fun items that I wouldn't even say public that is around I have it in my bedroom in my office as memory stones uh, and I love memory stones building memory moments and uh, uh, what I wanted just to kind of give us a little framework today and just kind of warming up my voice uh, on your journey towards your destiny. Uh, how many of you, by the way, you're no longer who you used to be, but you have not yet become what you're supposed to become? You don't have to be a prophet to kind of going into that, but on this beautiful journey towards our destiny we're going through there's very very few people that are actually living full and dying empty there's very very few people uh, and I was just thinking about people like Jack Hayford that just passed away I mean he was one of those giants that he finished well and we know that Billy Graham went to heaven and there's been a lot of different people but there's actually very few actually one of them said that there's about seven percent of people that are actually finishing well and so there was not, I think that if you talk to average one of us believers, I think that all of us would say, yeah, I want to finish well. My life verse is John 17, 4, where he says, I have glorified you here on earth and I have finished everything that you called me to do. So my heart is living and loving in such a way that brings glory to him, but also finish everything he called me to do, not everything he didn't call me to do. So I just want to encourage you also to stay within your lane because your anointing rests upon your assignment. And your assignment is connected to your alignment. So I'm putting that in place. Stay within your lane because you're burning oil when you're staying within your lane. But you start to burn flesh when you're moving outside your lane. And it doesn't smell the same. So it's important for us to burn oil, oil of intimacy. So I have been on this thing, this journey in life with a lot of different obstacles. You heard some of the things that Aaron so graciously shared that I think it's just such a trophy of grace. How I went from being a prodigal son to becoming a prodigal brother, had a major encounter with the Holy Spirit, told that I was going to be a bulldozer. And then from 1995 to 2013, went on a journey that led to almost 100 countries by then, but eventually we passed the million mark. And I never forgot it because we had over 80,000 people in this one stadium when we passed that mark. And so it was part of the journey towards the destiny and watching the presence of God just filling up the stadium of Muslims and to see the atmosphere changing, to see the lame people walking, blind people seeing, and eventually to see a whole stadium standing to defeat, lifting up the hands and surrender to a king like Jesus. It, it is a glorious moment and, and sometimes some of us we have some of those mountaintops experience and we would like to go from glory to glory from mountain to mountain but sometimes you have to go into the valleys and so for 15 years I've been on this journey I think it's just part of what I wanted to share with the upper room family today I have been studying the life of David if you ask me who is your two favorite people in the Bible except for Jesus it would be David in the Old Testament and I would have John in the New Testament. Amen. 
I'm starting to kind of have wanted to learn a little bit more about Peter because I'm the most like Peter. Uh, and that's part of the things I don't like about myself. I mean, Peter is raw and real, but in one moment, like, hey, I would never do this in the next moment. <clears throat> and Peter has all these issues that I look in the mirror, so I can relate a lot to Peter. But John is the one that he captures something with Jesus. He was able to be entrusted to take care of Jesus' mama. And I want to be one of those, the most valuable thing to Jesus. Oh, I want to host. I want to be able to be a person that can be entrusted. Not just to be among the crowds or the 72 or the 12. And David is the other person. And the other thing I love about David, David is very raw and real. Have you noticed that with David? David is one also, even when you're reading the Psalms, sometimes David seems a little bipolar in nature. I mean, David is like... Oh, God, you are my God. I earnestly seek you. And I heard in the worship team, Oh, is this one thing I desire? This one thing. And it's like, Oh, where are you? Why have you forsaken me? It's like, oh. And sometimes that's how life is. But God was looking at his heart. All kingdom matters is matters of the heart. And the kingdom will only be entrusted to hearts that can be entrusted. Guard your hearts about everything else because all the issues of life flows from there. So I wanted just to give you the big framework of David. I'm not going to be very wow today, but I think it's very, something very practical that I'm using in my own life. I wrote a whole book called The Giant Slayers that is all about how do you actually, on your journey towards your destiny, when there's a giant that stands in that doorway, something that is an obstacle bigger than yourself that stands between you and what God has called you to be. And how do we solve some of those and learning some of those lessons? We're going to look at a few of those things today. But before then, let me give you an overview of his life. Just maybe seven minutes like you have an outline of the life of David. But I would start by, first of all, first telling a little story. Looking at a couple of scripture verses because I have Dr. Andrew Park here. Can you just give Dr. Andrew Park here? I know he doesn't want this attention. but Since we have a professor... <coughs> at United Theological Seminary. I'm going to open up the Bible and reading some scripture verses to make this meeting legal. <laughs> Not just telling stories, making sure, because I'm a student myself right now. I'm in class, learning again at the age of 57. Went back to the classroom. Uh, but here's what I wanted to, to share. I, I love this story because there was this one guy. He went to the doctor and when he came to the doctor, the doctor was trying to get the diagnosis because the guy he was talking about, oh, my knee, my, my knee is hurting. And the doctor said, what else is hurting? Just take, take your finger and point to wherever it's hurting. And he put on his nose, oh, yeah, my sinuses, my nose, my nose is hurting. And, and then in the next moment, oh, my chest, yeah, I don't know if it is heartache. And I mean, he just went through his body, oh, yeah, elbow, oh, I think it is a tennis elbow. And he continued to go through, and the doctor was just taking notes. And finally, after going through the whole body, oh, oh, oh. Finally, the doctor says, I know exactly what the problem is. You have a dislocated finger. <laughs> and, and sometimes life is like that. I mean, we feel like this is the issue, what's going on in America. The issue is my spouse, it's this and it's that. But what is that one thing that causes pain everywhere? So of all the different issues, what is that root issues that is actually causing 
some of the symptoms that we are feeling in life. And I'm going to look at that. So the difference between everybody have giants, but then there's a Goliath, the chief of all giants, something that is so big, an obstacle so big that is overwhelming you. Something night and day, it is there. You went to bed, it was there. That could be chronic pain. It could be finances. It could be relationship. We're going to look at some of those things. But I'm, I'm just dreaming. Would you like to dream with me for a few moments? Uh, would you, Aaron, want to dream with me for a few moments? What about you, Jennifer? Okay, open up just for a second, too. We're going to look at Joshua. Oh, I love this. There are two scripture verses in the Old, Old Testament that makes me so jealous. And there's some reason for, especially looking at America, I will go home tonight, and then tomorrow we have a leadership thing going on, and then I'm heading to Washington, D.C. for the, They have the presidential prayer breakfast going on. And then, so I'm on Monday. That means it's just tomorrow. Yeah, tomorrow. Meeting with a top Muslim leader of Pakistan is coming in. We're meeting at Hilton Hotel tomorrow night. And you're going to be around a lot of the Washington, D.C. atmosphere. And when I'm looking what's going on in the country, these scripture verses is making me jealous. So let me start in Joshua chapter 21, verse 43 to 45. The Bible says, so the Lord, say the Lord. He gave to Israel, say he gave to Israel, all the land which he had sworn to give their fathers. And they took possession of it, and they dwelled in it. The Lord gave them rest all around, say rest all around, according to all that he had sworn to their fathers. And not the man of all their enemies stood against them. The Lord delivered all their enemies, say all their enemies into their hands not the word failed and not any good things which God have spoken to the house of Israel all came to pass say all came to pass I want us just to dream for a moment because even while we're here imagine if I'm coming in with the airplane into Ohio into Dayton and suddenly all the pain that I have is gone the vertical I have is gone everything is gone because there's rest all around Imagine the enemy. There is no drug addiction. There is no. Uh, let me give you another scripture verse connected to David's story. First Kings five four, and it says uh, there was rest. Say rest, all around, no adversary, and not one evil occurrence. So now you're coming into Jerusalem, a whole city. There is rest. There's such a shalom. Rest all around, and no adversary, and not one evil occurrence. So imagine, oh, there is no divorce. And what happened? Oh, we don't have any alcoholism here. Uh, there is no drug addiction. And all the opiates is gone because there is rest all around. There is no chronic pain. This is a cancer-free city. Yeah. I, I don't know if you can dream with me, but that's in a covenant lesser than what we have as a family. That makes me a little jealous. But the story of 1 Kings 5.4 and the story here, sometimes we also, we start with the end in itself that helps me to dream. And you say, well, that... That is only going to happen when you get to heaven. Is it? This was in a covenant lesser than us that experienced for a moment, for the Joshua, it was seven years they got to experiencing this. But even here, what David, it was actually Solomon that said this because Solomon comes where there is shalom, where there is peace. And wisdom builds when there is peace. And I believe as we're moving into the future, it's going to be a bumpy road. Fasten your seatbelt. There's going to be a lot of shaking. And all the things that can be shook will be shaken. 
But what I believe in the middle of it, there's going to be some prototype. God is raising up a family. How do I know? Because I read the book of ending. It's a little Jehovah sneaky. (laughs) Because I want you to know, I read the book of ending. It actually ends well. It started with God and it ends with God. Not with the devil. This is the book of, not Antichrist, but Jesus Christ. And then it starts to unveil how the future is going to be. So somehow there is a family. Somehow there are sons and daughters of glory that creation is moaning and groaning for. Somehow there is someone that has finished the unfinished task. To be able to establish. This is before we get to heaven. But we are seeing that we ended well. I just want to encourage you. It starts with a family and it ends with a family represented. From every nation, tongue, every tribe and every language worshiping before him. Meaning the 1.8 billion Muslims and Hindus and Buddhists. And they are all going to experience in the goodness and kindness of God in such a way. That's going to lead to a mass repentance. And as I'm saying, not everybody is going to be in heaven. But there is going to be an outpouring of God's spirit like we've never seen before. And what I want with the upper room family for you to get in on it. I want you to, I want you to have stocks in the light business. Because with all the darkness around your stock is about to explode. I want you to get in on the good news because sometimes in the middle of everything that's going on, good news can be hard to believe. So the story of David's life, he started out in Bethlehem. Say Bethlehem. Jesus started out in Bethlehem. Say Bethlehem. Bethlehem is the season where you learn how to be faithful in the natural. Say natural. A lot of us, we're trying to learn how to be faithful in the supernatural. We're first establishing ourselves in Bethlehem. Uh, Jesus actually, if, I don't know if you realize it, when he was 12 years old, I mean, he, at the age of 12, he was about to be ordained. I mean, he was in the temple. He could have started the ministry. I mean, the kingdom is there. And instead, for the next 18 years, do you know what he did? Mom and Papa almost missed him. They left him, and he was in the temple, and everybody was there in awe in the awesomeness of this wisdom. But for the next 18 years, he placed himself under the subject of submission, his mama and papa's mission. And he learned he, did, he was not just a carpenter, but a master craftsman for 18 years. Until when he is about 30 years, mama and papa is recognized. He has been faithful in the natural. They're about to give him the family business, and the heavenly father comes in, baptizes him in water. Heaven opens up. The dove comes down, he was baptized in the Holy Spirit, and then he was baptized in love. He was affirmed by his father, this is my beloved son whom I love and whom I am well pleased. Before he preached the sermon, before he healed any sick, before he delivered anybody, before he touched the leper, the father was well pleased with him. So he always lived from pleasure, never the father's pressure. He had an A plus before he took the exam. So the story of David back, Bethlehem was a season where he learned to be son. He learned to be a shepherd boy, learned to take care of sheep. And his father, Jesse, had his assignment. David was probably, I mean, we know for a fact that he was probably one of those sons that was rejected. So I don't know your background, but he was rejected by his father. All the rest of the brothers, some historian says probably that Jesse had a relationship outside something but David was kind of a it's like if you have different puppies he was one that was the last one that you wanted but there's something that God was seeing with that little boy so David was sent out to take care of sheep say sheep 
David actually learned how to love sheep because he's going to steward, take care of his father. So while he's taking care of sheep, one time there's a lion that's trying to kill that sheep. David is willing to give his life just to save that one sheep. And, and why is this so important? Because it was the season in Bethlehem when nobody is seeing anything. This is long, long before he became a king. But I'm saying that in each one of us, there's a potential. In a shepherd boy and a shepherd girl, there's a potential of a king. The potential is in us, but in this journey towards the destiny, and there's this potential in us, but in this journey, it was not just he went from there to rule and reign. And all of us are called to rule and reign together with him in life. How many here would like to reign in life together with him? Not just think, and not just be overwhelmed by what is happening to us, but be so overwhelmed by him that nothing else can overwhelm us. Let me say that one more time. So many of us, we're being so overwhelmed by things that happens to us that we have forgot about being overwhelmed by him. And what David learned, even when he was taking care of sheep, some of us would just be there, well, I'm just working at McDonald's. But while he was just being faithful in the natural, he had a harp, say harp. And I'm just encouraging every single one in the upper room family today. And I know there were the kids while we're doing the axe throwing and, and when we were together doing the painting yesterday. And I'm thinking about that generation of giant slayers. I was thinking for them there is a potential if we as a generation would pay, the next generation can play. But I feel like a lot of us, we've had one generation, including now what we're seeing with Papa here. Greg and that generation, they paid, and Aaron and Nicole comes in. The tendency for us is we can spend inheritance instead of investing it. But it is so important when I'm looking at the children here, I'm getting tears in my eyes, watching them worshiping, realize that they don't have to have the same scars that I do. But I cannot get them just to consume what somebody else paid for. They need now to invest. If you have three generations, you will shift the city and the nation. Father, Son, Spirit, nation. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, nation. And you have a new generation here. And I want to challenge us, not thinking about how we can get out of here, but how to bring Jesus into here. Yes. Yes. Don't look at the watch because Jesus is looking at the harvest. So David, he learned how to be a worshiper. Say worshiper. Every one of us have a harp, but we have an instrument. We have something he has given us. That's his gift to you. But what you do with that harp, that is your gift to him. So I could give you a piano for Christmas, but if you have that piano, you maybe say, I have a gift. But for you then to practice that piano and start to master that piano, what is no longer different between you and the music has become one. It's called a mastery. And you start to change the environment because of this gift, and you're becoming an environment changer. This is what happened to David. It's called a 10,000 hour rule. When nobody was looking, probably for almost a 10 year period of time, four hours a day, David is just taking that harp he is worshiping. That's what we saw with the worship team today. They were being so overwhelmed. It is this one thing I desire. He's looking up. It didn't matter how big the lion wore, the bear, whatever he faced, he's just looking up. He was a worshiper. Say worshiper. And part of what I like to do is we are raising here at the Upper Room family, a family of giant slayers, a whole generation of giant slayers. Well, we're starting to celebrate the victory. We're not afraid of the giants that are in the land, if that's in America. But sometimes we have to deal with the giants in us before we can deal with the giants outside. Are you okay? Just a couple of practical things connected to this. And then the second thing, David also learned to be a warrior. Say warrior. warrior. 
He had a sling, and if he hadn't mastered a sling, so he had something that God is giving him to solve giants. And everyone in this room has been given something that God has placed. There's three things. Say it with me. Say hand, heart, history. Let's say that one more time. Say hand, heart, history. The three primary things in the Bethlehem season, David developed. He became a man after God's own heart. It starts by developing the heart of a lamb. Say heart of a lamb. How many have seen some of the prophecy in 2020? I'm not going to get political on you, so I'm Norwegian. <laughs> so when I go to Washington, D.C. and people ask me all those things, I can put my ignorance card. <laughs> what does that mean? Republican Democrats? Wow. Is that like political parties? But I am just challenging us in this season because I have several of my friends that are prophets and spoke, and they did. They, they have a right to speak the truth and stand up and get the plumb line, and, but they didn't have the lamb's heart. So we have lion that is showing up and we are roaring even as intercessors and prophets and roaring into the atmosphere, but it doesn't come from the heart of the lamb. And Jesus is the lamb and he's the lion. And when you're worshiping, when you're in the presence, this is one thing I desire, you suddenly develop the heart of the lamb. But when you show up as lions, when you roar, people will gather, not scatter, because it comes from the lamb's heart. So David learned how to be a lamb, say lamb. And he learned how to love lambs, say love lamb. And this is also loving people, not coming there, this us against them. But I genuinely love my enemies. I genuinely love the people I'm going to go up in Washington, D.C. that is totally opposite to me. Even some of the ones that want to kill me, that are killing my brothers and sisters. Jesus, the Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. I mean, a heart of the Lamb. Then when I'm coming as a lion, and you have authority, listen, you have authority over what you weep over. But you also have authority where you love. Could I say that one more time? You have authority over what you weep over. When you're being broken over what is broken, God releases something in you to do something about it, to dream with him. He could do it himself. He could solve it. But they've chosen to do that with ordinary sons and daughters, with giant slayers that will weep over what is broken. <laughs> but also you have authority over what you love. Not what you have fear or anger or because it comes from the wrong heart. So David developed that in Bethlehem. Say Bethlehem. But there was also another thing. He had a history with God. So that when Goliath showed up was also in Bethlehem. David in this season, and I'm not going to be too long here, but I'm putting the framework in. David in the Bethlehem season, that's also when he developed a history with God. And there's people right now, they, they have not established the foundation in Bethlehem. Say Bethlehem. It is the season to be faithful in the natural, but it is also to get foundation. Say foundation. So there's buildings that are crumbling in this season because people want the second floor, third floor, fifth floor, tenth floor of revelation or what's going on, the words, without having the foundation. And so Jesus went to school when Dr. Park hears this, it's not to dishonor my education system, but Jesus went to school for 30 years so he could minister three. Well, we tried to go to school for three so we can minister 30. 
so all I'm saying, don't underestimate the process. So many, we're so focused on where we're going to go instead of enjoying the moment where you're at. Amen. And to be present with his presence where you're supposed to be. Make sure that we get and building family, building a solid foundation in Bethlehem, a unshakable foundation. So in Bethlehem season is when a giant shows up, a Goliath shows up, and God sets up this stage and he suddenly gives, if that would be to a governor of a state or a president, but he gives Saul at the time a nightmare, and we know the story. And somebody says, there's somebody at the upper room. Oh, there was that little girl when she was up singing. I still remember when she sang, fear moved out. Because perfect love casts out fear. And a 12-year-old girl can be brought before a governor and just sing that song over and change the environment. I don't know if you're seeing it. This is what God is doing in this season. But there's people that have said, Leif, could you bring me before the president of Pakistan? Or could you introduce me to the prime minister of Kashmir? Or could you, uh, I'm saying, have you mastered your harp? So you say, what do you mean by that? Because in the secret place, say secret. Say secret. secret. That's where you get secret. And what a lot of people do, they go into the secret place and get a secret. And then they go out and they create a YouTube channel called The Secret. And then they write a secret book. And then you have a secret conference. And before you know it, it's no longer a secret what he wanted to share with you. So what David had, he had these things in the secret with his lover in the secret place. And he was so overwhelmed by him. So when the story comes, hey, there's that David, when he plays the harm, the environment is about to change. And this is what I believe is what's taking place here. God is raising up environment changer. Why would you want to check the temperature out there instead of setting the thermostat? Three weeks ago, we were in Charlotte in a very similar church like this and my friend Greg and I drove up and there's just fresh outpouring and I'm hungry for fresh bread uh, I don't like yesterday's bread I have no grace for tomorrow's bread it's not made yet but give us this day our daily bread so somebody say hey and I remember 94 Toronto fresh bread Pensacola 95 so I've been around this journey when I hear this fresh bread the bread of his presence I'm hungry there's something happened so we went up there and I just heard we were in this setting and it was the presence the sweetness of Jesus we just spent quite a few hours people at 2.30 stood in line to get into church we came in a little because we had a little favor card so we came in, parked, and came in two hours before into the prayer room, and I could smell the presence, the environment. But then I heard one of the little girls, elementary school, just was around the presence. Five hours into the, we were pretty late in the service. These kids didn't want to leave. It's like, we need to go to school in a moment. No, we just want to be in his presence. And that one little girl went to her elementary school, sixth grade, shows up in elementary, and the presence of God just fills the classroom. And all the kids get touched by the present because one has been around the bread and it starts to change. One of the Baptist pastors in Toronto, I remember we were in England and he just walked in here being in a secret place. But he didn't know it and he thought nothing happened to me. And he showed up in his traditional Baptist church and he was a little afraid that people were going to find out that he'd been messing around with the Holy Spirit. So he comes from, he had been around the harp, he has been around in the environment, but he didn't know because he didn't feel anything when they prayed for him. And I know he was just up there reading the same scripture verse, and you see this sweet lady, boom, fall over, and then the next one, boom. 
and he's halfway through his sermon, he cannot speak because God just took over. I'm just hungry. I'm hungry for more. I'm just in that place where I, I can smell this fresh bread of his presence. And that's what David had. So he could stand him in the front of his soul, change the environment. And then the favorite song hits YouTube. Saul can do a thousand, David ten thousand. <laughs> Hello, my name is David, and I am not. So here we see it. So David here suddenly, now the song comes in and jealousy comes into Saul. And David went from Bethlehem, say Bethlehem. And then he runs and hides, not because of sin in his life, but because of faithfulness. We have not yet dealt with the sin. So now we end up in a cave called Adullam. Say Adullam. And the Adullam season for David, this is your cave. This is winter season. I believe most of the church has been in a long cave of Adullam season. And But how do we handle the Adullam season? He is in a damp cave. He's called to be king. And there's calling over life. Called to royalty. Called for the future. Here's your destiny. All these words over life. And instead you are in a situation in a damp cave. And then in that setting, in some of the Psalms there, you could see he's struggling. He's whining instead of shining. But eventually I, I can see him. He's taking out his harp and he starts to worship in the middle of it. He starts to praise. He starts, because you can see some of the Psalms coming out of the cave. And there's something of you and I, because in the wilderness, in the winter season, is when our root goes deeper. And he's going to have to take us deeper so he can take us wider. So don't underestimate the cave season, the adullam, the winter season, the dark night of the soul. Don't underestimate those seasons in your life. But then eventually what David does, this is so fascinating for me, say adullam. The name of adullam means justice of the people. That's what the name means. David is in this cave and he starts to pull from heaven. Imagine if one of you are fugitive in he. Let's say imagine that is you. Fugitive, and well, I know we have cops here. Fugitive, and you have one person is on the posters everywhere. The king is looking for David, and the whole army is looking, and he is hiding in a cave. Nobody's going to find him in this damn cave. And then guess what, David? Four hundred people starts to show up around you. How do you do that? How do you bring 400 people from different areas of life? There's that CEO that got divorced. Or there's that person that came out of recovery. And David to something. 400 people depressed, defeated. They come into this cave. And they find this person that the whole army is looking for. This is without Apple. Siri was not there to help. How do, I'll tell you exactly what happened. From a man after God's heart. He starts to pull from heaven. A little bread and other people are coming. And he starts to pull from heaven and 400 people shows up. Three things has happened. And I believe this is a key for this season for your transition. Say identity. identity. There's been an identity theft taking place. An identity theft. And 400 of those, they had lost their identity. And David gave their identity back. Say identity. And that is who you are, how God sees you, for you to love you the way he loves you. Second of all, value. Say value. 400 people out there have been devalued by the world. And say dreams. From a man after God's own heart. He didn't want a man after God's own heart. Just. He wanted a culture. 
And that's what's happening here. God is bringing a family. One can do a thousand, two, ten thousand. Each one have their special sauce. You know who you are. You know how valuable you are. Jesus didn't die on the cross to make you valuable. He died on the cross because you are valuable. And suddenly you have this synergy of 400 become 600. They change a city and a nation. I don't know if you get it from me. Where are we heading? Rest on all sides. No adversary. Not one evil occurrence. So that's disturbed David in Adullam. And then from there, something happened in the end. Ziglag. Say Ziglag. Fifteen minutes and we are going to end. I give you 12 hours, just a little framework. But Ziglag is the time. What do you do during the worst day of your life? First, Bethlehem, faithful in the natural foundation. Adullam, faithful in the middle of your needs. In the middle of your darkness in the middle of your struggles how do you stay faithful and navigate through when nothing makes sense then Ziglag comes in it's the worst day of your life have anyone had that I just I've had two days we just visited one of them at the darkest moment where all the storms hit the loss of that child and then the loss of a I mean you can just go to the list of what was your Ziglag moment for David it is he comes back and they burn down the camp and everything else. They've taken his wife and children and they run off with him. And the pain is so much that he weeps till there is no more tears. If you're not being there, you're just weeping and weeping. There's nothing you can do. And they've taken the wife and the children and then everyone in the church turns against him. Those 400 guys that he's helped back to life, all of them, the reason we have all this pain is because we follow you, that Jesus of yours. And look now what has happened and everybody turns against him. But then David did something, and we're going to have to learn to do this in this season. I'm just warning you in America. He strengthened himself, or in other scriptures, he encouraged himself in the Lord. He went back again to get so overwhelmed by God when everyone turned against him. His family, his friends, everything he had turned. So what he did, he pursued, and he overtake, and then he recovered all. How do you do that when the worst thing happened to change that atmosphere? Bring back again everything the enemy has taken from you. Double for your trouble. I don't know if you're ready for it. Fasten your seatbelt. Every single time the enemy attacks, it leads to an upgrade. That's when you consider joy when these trials come against you because it always leads to upgrade. A zigzag. So that is learning to be faithful in the middle of a crisis. How do you handle loss? So in the master class, I just talked to Bill Johnson, as many of you know, after contending for Benny and the loss of Benny. Talk to Chris Vallon. Tell me a little bit about your worst day of your life and how did you navigate? And I'm interested to help us when these things hit in our life. How do we navigate loss, disappointments, betray? Because some of that, it's part of the life. I wish that it was only Sunday, not the Friday. But there is no Sunday without a Friday moment. There is a time when everything seems to be dying. But I have some good news. Even if it has been a two-year or 30-old Saturday, Sunday is coming. Can you say yes? yes? Okay, so the next season is Hebron. Say Hebron. And this is where we are coming together as family. Now we learn how to be faithful in covenant, faithful in relationship. The reason people in Adullam are coming to church is to see what they can get. But when you are selling in Hebron, everybody come and say, what can I give? 
You have 400 giant slayers, and each one have a jawbone, or they have something that God has given them. 400 worshipers that are extravagant. We're not just waiting for somebody to lead us into the present. We live in the secret place. And we bring it into the classroom, into the workplaces, into the fire station, wherever we have. Being so overwhelmed by God and nothing else can overwhelm us. Now it's you have a culture that starts to change culture. And we can spend a lot of time how to develop a healthy kingdom family culture in Hebron. But that's what David did. Over seven years there and then Zion. Say Zion. He learned how to be faithful in ruling and reigning. And this is what God's calling for every one of us. And then for us to set up for the next generation. For the next generation, when I'm seeing the kids here, for them, even the small babies, they're coming into that culture. Because one generation has been on that journey. And here is where I'm going kind of a land on this thing. What is the one giant that you are faced with? Well, let me make it a little more public. What are some of the giants that we have in our community or in America? Just... Call it out to me. Let me hear. We have division, okay? Sickness. There are some major issues with sickness. Abortion. That's a big giant, yeah? Drugs. Poverty. Identity is a major. There's a whole identity crisis out there. Relationships. There's giants against. And the other, because again, we, I know that we want to activate each one of you, but we first have to see that there are some giants. And the other giants we have. Huh? Political. Big political, yeah. Finances. There's some global giants, what's going on in Russia, Ukraine, and we could go on and on. There's some financial giants. Huh? Yeah, so we're talking about not a whole sexuality, gender, fatherlessness. And do you see, we could sit here, and I just want you to dream with me for a second. I want us to see because it's easy to... But what are some of the giants we have in our life? Can we be honest with that? I can say the three biggest giants I'm faced with dealing in my life, I'm just honest. Shame. And shame will tell you who you are not. Papa God always tells you who you are. And, and how are you going to share with people out there if the enemy comes in with shame? Fear and guilt. Those are the three... Started when I was 12 years old, different things that's happened in my life. Those have been the three internal giants where the enemy wants to stop me from being able to deal with giants outside. But what are some of the giants inside us, meaning there's something in us that continue to hammer? What are some of those giants? Rejection. Huh? Pride. Pride can be a big giant, yeah. Depression, yeah. Hearts, wounded hearts, broken hearts. I even feel that for many of us, when we look in the mirror, the majority of we have a tendency to look at the broken mirror. Amen. And we do not see ourselves the way that he sees us. Amen. And until that happens, we're not going to be able to see people and treat them based upon their destiny instead of history. We see the brokenness in their life instead of seeing them the way that God sees them. So when you're looking at the terrorist Saul, you cannot see the Apostle Paul. Any other internal? What about in the church? What are some of the giants in the family? Gossip. Huh? Gossip. gossip can happen. Yeah, gossip can be a giant. I'm just stirring up a little bit because i give you a practical example. One church, we went and did a whole giant slayer weekend where we just took some time and we actually started dealing with the internal. 
we found in the community. And they have actually chosen five giants that they saw outside. That one church has taken 500, 500 children out of the foster care system in that region. And they're much, now they're doing the next giant, and that is children, because they had so much both drugs and everything else, but there's no daycare enough. They just bought up a big, beautiful church property, but they're now solving the daycare issue for the whole city. They are in that process. So they're bringing the presence of God into the small children that the parents either, I mean, and giant after giant, they're now solving some of the giants for the community. And uh, somebody else now is going after the addiction, and, and they're just coming in because God's people, first we're dealing with our giants, but now it starts to dream about what this looks like, rest on our side. And I'd rather continue that journey until I go to heaven than wake up in the morning and have Goliath blackmailing us, haunting us, and we are sitting there. Because that's what happened in 1 Samuel 17. In my giant slayer program, the number one thing if you want to be a giant slayer is to say, show up. So let me stop here for a moment as we do a little activation and... But let me ask you in your life, first of all, I want you to name your giant. Not just internal giant, but also what is the one thing? I mentioned with a finger, dislocated finger. You may be mentioned, like for myself, I can tell you, I have a vertical, even while I'm talking to you, it's a struggle with me. I just got diagnosed after years of some struggle. The bone between my inner ear and my brain is gone. So it's like just open. It's called a superior canal dehesion syndrome. So when I'm here, I have ringing sound, but it is also a vertical, the stage. And many times I have to go like that, and then you get nausea and you get headaches. So I have a giant, but I need to create a miracle. But now when I have the name of a giant, now you know what you're dealing with. Because they were putting me on all these antibiotics, so it's infection, is this, is that. And so you're fighting the wrong things. So number one is, now I can show up. I, I chose to be here. I chose to go on an airplane. Why? I'm showing up. I'm facing my giant. So my question to you, first of all, number one is, what is the giant, the Goliath that you're facing that is bigger than yourself in this season? In your relationship, in your family, in your finance, I'm talking about what is that one thing that stands out? We know in 1 Samuel 17 that for 40 days and 40 nights, there was that one giant there, and that was Goliath. Nine foot six. Just the, the, the head of the spear weighed 20 pounds. 175 pound armor. This huge, huge giant. And he was mocked. And guess what happened to the church? They were all crippled by fear. And we're just waiting for the government to come up with another this or law or rules. And all God's people is like, oh, we are victims. We're living in this bad culture and darkness is taking over. Oh, Jesus, can you take, out, take us out of here? But David had a different spirit. Where did he get that? In the secret place. And he had this attitude, and I'm not talking about that. I want the lamb in this. So I'm not talking about, let's go out and take those. No. Let's be broken over what's broken. That's the intercessors. Let's come in and step into the offering plate. That's what David did. Make himself available. And David said, hey, I volunteer. Not all of us are volunteer to deal with an elderly situation or to deal with addiction. or So don't feel like you have to find your lane and find the things that God has called you to solve. And if we have 400 people that do that, wow. It starts to tell stories and then create for this next generation supernatural courage. 
For 10 years, I prayed for autism. And it was one of those giants that mocked me. My wife's best friend before then had a son. And I remember church, severe autism. He was over there. Uh, constantly it was. You can go to the home or you can bring him away. It was just. And I had a few other people. But it was one of those I had prayed and declared and not seen when it comes to severe autism. There was no break for over 10 years. And one moment I was there in Bangkok. And to be honest, I didn't want to show up any longer. Because that giant was intimidating me. I hadn't seen any breakthrough. And God had dealt with my heart. Because we were in Bangkok, Thailand. And this boy, about 12 years old, ah, ah, all during the teaching. And I was kind of a little irritated. It was a leadership gathering. And I was thinking, why aren't they? We can pray for him afterwards. But everybody was looking at that boy. Nobody listening. It was during worship. It was, and God just rebuked me. And I sat down on stage and I repented. God says, that's my daughter that brought her son. And you've been irritated. She has a giant and she's looking for somebody. And you're telling a story what you've done in the Middle East and the break turn to heal, all these things you have seen. And she is coming with hope. And it was another guy named David Hogan with me and Mel Tari. Both of them raised dead. She's coming with hope and we're getting irritated. And all had prayed and declared over him, but he went back again. Oh, he couldn't talk. And I just sat on stage, and like David, I started, the lamb in me started to get so overwhelmed. I could feel this mama, feel this boy, feel the pain. If this was my child, and suddenly empathy came. And as I sat there, the boy fought himself up from mama, crawled up in the front of everyone. And we were supposed to pray for everybody. So the whole altar was full of people. He crawled up and put his legs around me, climbed up on my lap. And first he did, uh, 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 and he hit me a little bit, not hard. And I sat there. And then he, oh, and he started to hug me, put his head against my chest. And I just sat there in front of everyone. I didn't pray for one single person. I just sat with this boy in front of everyone. Jake Hamilton, actually, that has been here, he was up there. And he said it was one of the things that wrecked him the most. But he was just up there with guitars. I sat with this autistic boy. That night, the mama came, and the boy got his voice back, and he started to speak. As soon as that giant came down, there was a ripple effect. The doctor in Minnesota heard about it. Two of his children saw major improvement for the first time. One started to paint and do all these creative things. And story after story. And then it just came to me again because I saw some children with autism in a meeting in Brazil. And this father ran up to me. And I thought, don't disturb right now. Because he's like, hey, I want to talk to you. I'm like, this is not the time. Let the ministry talk. I don't want to pray for anybody. Now it's... I was up there, 5,000 liters in this meeting. I was with Randy Clark, and he came up and said, no, last night when you mentioned about that autism, I came home and my daughter started to speak for the first time in her life. <laughs> Why am I sharing this story? I'm not going into the whole giant slayers because I think the testimony, when he starts to hear some of us, maybe you say that's a small thing. No, it's not a small thing. If that's a little healing or whatever you have contended for. But when we're creating a culture for giant slayers. That are not afraid. And knowing it is okay. That you have giants on the inside. That's why Jesus says come to me all of you who are weary and heavy laden. So if you're worn out by it he's going to give you rest. Yes. But you're not coming to me if you don't have issues. And that's where humility comes from. Because there's nothing I can do about that. There's not but he can. And that's what brings you into that secret place, to be so overwhelmed by him again. Number two, show up for the right battle. 
So my question is, what are some areas we need to show up? That make sure we show up for the right battle. So when I go to Washington, D.C., hey, what do you believe about this and that? There's a lot of groups of people, and I'm making sure that I'm not going to get involved in those things. Why is that? I am going to get involved in something. That's what God has called me to do up there. But I can get on Fox, or I can get on this, or I can get on that, and it takes me away from what God has called me to do. And then I say, I've been persecuted. No, I, I stayed outside my lane. And I say, I know more. I, I have, I'm burning flesh. It's because I burned up my oil, because I stepped out of the grace he had given me. So finally, what is your lane in this season? Because there's an issue, it doesn't mean you need to be public about it. There's something you need to be public about. And I, there's things you need to stand firm and love well. I'm not talking about compromise or chicken out, but I just want us to have wisdom to show up for the right battle. Don't talk about the giant, talk to the giant. One more little story and we're going to pray. Are you guys okay? My friend Greg, my best friend in Atlanta, they brought us to the hospital of a little child. And they had this rare cancer. And the best surgeons around said it's going to be over one out of a thousand chances that even a surgeon could do. There was nothing they could do about it. Where this tumor was, the risk factor. And we stood there, and I just got one word that came out of me that sounds strange when I prayed. I'm not saying that had anything to do with the healing, only he did the healing. But it came out of me, and the report blew me away afterwards. And that was out of me when we were about to pray. They brought me to pray. It is, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? And it was from the story of David. Where is this coming from? David was in a covenant relationship with a covenant-keeping God. So he said, this circumcision, now is a circumcision of our heart. But David knew that he is at one with the God that created the universe. The Israelites had forgotten about that. When you're looking at the giant, David says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Can I just provoke a little bit? David is a little over five foot. What is he looking at? This guy is uncircumcised. And it is more. Now, this guy is not in covenant. And we are in covenant with a covenant-keeping God. Uh, sometimes we forget about covenant. There's healing in the covenant. It's in the relationship, in the one man. So when David said, he didn't say Jehovah Jireh. He didn't say Jehovah Shalom, God is my peace. He didn't say, no, he said Jehovah Sabaoth, God is my warrior. So when you can name the giant, like I need to create a miracle, then you have a name for God. And then we just said that. And in that moment, something happened. That tumor disappeared and the boy got totally healed. It was less than a 1,000, one out of a thousand chances. Can we stand to our feet? I'm actually doing pretty okay. Can we just take some time and allowing the Holy Spirit, I'm going to let Aaron coming in, but just, I'm just, this is the last thing. It's this one thing I desire we heard. And the worship, yeah, but if you, this is just going to be between you and him, but we're going to activate right now. Can, I, can you be honest with me? I was honest with you. I have a giant now that I have to face. When I go on the airplane, I have this. Going to Washington, D.C., I have this. I have this giant I have to show up with. I need to create a miracle. And I don't have a plan B yet. 
I'm not saying a surgeon. I don't believe there's second-class healings. But right now, I'm pursuing him. I need to be overwhelmed by him. I need a miracle, not just a healing. I don't know if you need a miracle in your life. But can you be honest with me? Can you think about a giant in your life? Just raise your hand. Something you are facing in your life, in your marriage, in your finances, in your health. Something that is bigger than yourself that you are facing and you need him. Let me see. I want you at this next moment, I want you to name that giant. You don't have to say it out loud. That's between you and him. Just be here. Can you just, well, for me, mine is I need to create a miracle. That's the first giant that I need. It's that one thing. Okay, so you, you have that name. Just wave to me if you have a name for it, just so that you can, not going through your whole body, but it's that one thing that I need to go after right now. Father, I just ask, come hold, hold out your hands and we're going to worship. Aaron is going to come up and we're going to activate. But I thank you for this family of giant slayers. Just as we heard autism, just as Newell Hoechlin, when he was set free from Hell's Angels back in the days when we were Baptist pastors, created such a ripple effect that all these other giant slayers came in with hope and addiction was broken and certainly we saw alcoholism was broken. We saw all over our city at the moment when one breakthrough came, one giant fell and now afterwards there was all these other giants that came down. Father, I just ask, even now, I just felt even for people, there's been a loss of a child and, and even for pregnancy. I don't know why that came, but it's just, it's like it, it seems like they've been a debt to a vision. Debt to a vision, you have stopped, but that giant has just been almost there haunting you. And even you're seeing children running and the life is there, just feeling there's going to be a resurrection of dreams taking place again. Just show up, show for the right battle. Again, getting so overwhelmed by the calling that is over your life. And at this very moment, I want you just to start to take a few moments and just start to thank him and start to worship him. Take your little harp and let's get him into this place and into his presence. And we're going to stand together. I'm going to need you and you're going to need me and we're going to need one another as family. But we're going to stand together and, and we're going to start to see story after story. And when one get a breakthrough, we all get a breakthrough. When one is struggling, we're all struggling because we're family. Build the immune system to be so healthy in this place that no cancer can live. Holy, holy, holy is his love. So, Father, I just release that grace today. Whew. Sweetness of your presence. Giant of addiction, come down. The giant that is coming after marriages and hearing that haunting, coming after marriages and covenant. It goes after covenant. It's become convenient, become contractual. The giant that is going after our children and the gender and the identity, that giant that is coming, that Goliath. We are now speaking against you, giant. And we're just restoring the identity of the sons and daughters. Come, Holy Spirit. Come. Come.